you were younger, what one word would you have used to describe God? Magical. When you were younger, what one word would you have used to describe God? God? Awesome. What is one word you would currently use to describe God? All-knowing. What is one word you would currently use to describe God? Relevant. Omniscient. Merciful. What is one word you would currently use to describe God? Come on. Um, Omnipresent. Funny? <laughs> what is something you used to believe about God that you no longer believe? If you had to give God a human job, what job might that be? Oh. Secretary of Agriculture. <laughs> Hands down. Care to elaborate, Peter? <laughs> uh, he's into like farming and planting, so I just figure it's a very fitting job. Probably um, president. If God had a human job, what might what job might you give him? for me to be here right now when um, Father Anthony said, hey, would you like to give a talk? I was like, wait, who are you talking to? Seriously, me? Um, okay. Um, so I'm a little nervous. You guys are going to have to bear with me. This is a little um, intimidating. So um, last week, Uwe did a great job in talking about the bodyguard God. Um, to highlight just the main point of that, he talked about how suffering makes us better, not bitter and that God turns our suffering into a blessing for us to bless others. And it's funny how God puts a series together because we're going to see a little bit of that theme um, today when we talk about on-demand God. So when I heard the term on-demand God, I immediately thought of my TV because there's an on-demand button. And I used it and I ended up watching Beauty and the Beast, the movie, if anybody saw it, it was fantastic. Um, but that is exactly what on-demand is, right? We literally um, just press a button and we can get everything we want, right? I don't have to go to the store because I have Amazon Prime and it's fantastic. It comes like the next day. I mean, dog food, appliances, clothing, perfume, anything I want comes immediately, right? If I don't know the answer to something, to the Google, right? Google will answer it for me and I will have um, everything that I need right away. We live in this world of instant gratification, of getting what we want when we want it now. The longest I've probably had to wait for anything is at Starbucks waiting for my coffee, right? And maybe this line sometimes. Um, but that's it. That's the longest I've ever had to wait for anything because anything I want comes within, to me, the appropriate time, which is immediately. 
Um, but I remember growing up as a kid, and I don't know if any of you guys remember this, but in the 80s slash early 90s, there was this thing called TGIF on TV. I was on ABC. Anybody here remember that at all? Okay. That was my favorite time of the week. I did not have a life in high school, so on Friday nights, I wanted to go watch TGIF. That's when um, Family Matters and Step by Step and Urkel, you guys remember Urkel? Right? Like that guy? Yeah. I would stay home on Friday nights just so I could watch that stuff. There was no DVR, right? If I wanted to see something, I had to be committed to the TV to watch it then, right? Same thing after school, He-Man, She-Ra, Saturday morning cartoons. Like I was like ready. I was like, I knew my TV schedule. So what's funny is that uh, I was doing this talk and I was like, okay, how, uh, such a, this is such a huge topic, right? But I know the on-demand God. I pray to him all the time. I'm like, dear God, please give me this, right? Like that was my prayer usually. Um, so looking at it, I was like, okay, let's review what God says and teaches us about prayer. Now, I know we all say this, and I know we've all studied this, right? But I just, enlighten me for a minute here. Our Father, who art in heaven, right? Jesus teaches us how to pray. And I remember studying this when I was a little kid, and then, I'll, and then I forgot. And so I was like, let me reintroduce myself to this. Let me meet God again, right? All right, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, most of the time, the way I prayed was, our Father, give me this day my daily bread. And I forgot all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't know what this means. I, what is that, right? Give me what I want and I want it now. So let's take a minute for a very brief second here to talk about what this means, right? Our Father, Jesus was teaching us that the fatherhood of God is established by having a relationship with Jesus. He said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. It's like cut off. Um, okay, I'll have to see my notes. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. So to call God our father is to love God. Okay. He wants to basically tell us that we are now his children. We are to love God because we are his children. And this is going to be important for what we talk about today. Okay? Hallowed be your name. What does that actually mean? That means to sanctify God. To not just agree that he is good and holy, because even demons know that he is good and holy. Okay? That's not enough. To hallow God means to value him. To uh, treasure him above all else. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God is king over all the earth. We already know this, right? Um, but there seems to be something here that's a little interesting, right? He goes, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Basically, what I see is that his will is not yet done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom has not yet come on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? And what does that have to do with us? Why do we pray that? Don't you ever wonder that? So there's obviously something that's missing that God is teaching us, right? And we'll talk more about that later. But I want you to keep this in the back of your mind. And then, of course, our daily bread. And that's everything, right? Our daily bread could be our relationship, our marriage, our kids, our job, our next promotion, the house that we want, the kids that we want, you know, uh, the retirement that we want, our future. Our bread is our future. And sometimes we neglect all this other stuff. So what does that actually mean? So... 
In the book, Guide to Spiritual Warfare, Ian Bounce says something really interesting. He says, it's man living for bread alone that makes the temporal become priority. The secular and worldly take on supreme importance. Faith becomes secondary. The heavenly is used for the earthly, the spiritual for the natural. We become more intent on daily food than on daily grace, eyeing the seen more than the unseen. And that's the devil's main business, to materialize religion, to get man to live for bread alone, yada, yada. Don't you feel like that's sometimes what the devil tries to do? He tries us to focus on just the daily things, our daily needs, our instant gratification, that on-demand stuff. And if you can't do it right now, and if you can't get it done right now, you should do it yourself, because you can. We live in the world of empowerment. We can do it, right? So I was going to spend a lot of time talking about bread, and I was doing this elimination diet, and then I was like not eating bread, and then God was like, okay, everybody has like a love-hate relationship with bread, so let's not talk about bread. Um, so I was like, okay, fine. So I went to the beach recently, and I was preparing this whole big talk on bread because I was, you know, really thinking about bread. And um, I was at the beach, and God was like, okay, so we're not going to talk about bread. I want you to talk about somebody else. Now, typically when I do these types of talks or Sunday school lessons or whatever it may be, God's trying to do something. He's trying to tell me something. He's even he's either trying to teach me something or convict me of something or heal me of something, me personally. So he was saying, I want you to do a talk on Sarah. You are going to um, know more about me in your personal life, Marianne, when you um, go back and meet Sarah again. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I heard about Sarah before, I was like, I didn't really give her a lot of credit. I was like, yeah, she was kind of like temperamental and, you know, crazy. And, you know, a lot of problems came from Sarah. Sarah is not my favorite character in the Bible. And so that's probably why God was like, you are exactly like her. Um, I was like, okay, great. So I'll tell you a little bit more about me so that you can kind of understand where I'm coming from here, right? I'm 40. I'm single, I've never been married, and I don't have children. And I'm Coptic and Christian and Egyptian, by the way. So let that sink in for a minute there, right? Um, that basically means that I'm an old hag. <laughs> um, not really, but yes. So part of that is, OK, let's, let's see what this means. When I was in my 20s, I um, early 20s, it was like, there was a big, like, group of us, right? Like, we would go out, we would have fun, it was like birthday parties, and this, this, and that, and we were all together all the time, like, 15 deep. We'd roll somewhere like 15, 20 deep, right? And late 20s, a lot of them started to get married, and I was like, okay, cool, like, party time, like, go to the, the weddings, maybe I'll meet somebody at a wedding, it's great, right? Um, never happened. Early 30s, okay, they're all starting to have babies now. And I'm like, okay, it's okay, cool. Like, I'll work on my career. I went to school. I'll have my, I'm going to go travel the world. I, it's okay, it's good. Mid-30s, that biological clock, ladies, that's, that is a thing. Okay, I did not know it was a thing until it was a thing. Because it was like screaming at me. It was like, eh, 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 must have baby now. And I was like, okay, um... I don't know how to do that <laughs> right now. So, um, but it, it, like, it was really emotional for me. Like, I remember, it, okay, okay, that was early, mid-30s. Like, late 30s is when it was really starting to, like, you know, I, I was feeling it, right? I was at church. I remember a couple times vividly I was at church, 
a different church, not this church. And um, I was seeing people come out of the communion line. And it was all my friends. Like, I've been to their weddings, and I'm super happy for them. And when they have babies, I am super happy. I'm there for them. I'm there at the birthdays. I'm there at the baptisms. I'm there. I am happy for you, right? But I got so emotional one time, I lost it. Like, I couldn't even stay for the rest of communion. I had to walk out of church because I was so upset and depressed, and I felt lonely, and I felt shame, you know, I'm like, what's wrong with me? I've had so many failed relationships, I've had my heart broken a gajillion times, like, what is it? Am I fat? Am I ugly? Am I not successful enough? Do I drive the wrong car? I don't know. What is it? Right? And I was praying. I mean, this whole time, decades, right, it's not like I'm sitting there not asking God for this. I'm not not praying about it. I'm praying about it every single day day, crying about it, praying about it, like in anguish about it, because now I don't have these friends. They've all moved on. They all got married. They all had kids. They're all doing soccer things and, you know, balloony things. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm just going to go, you know, have a coffee in this coffee shop and read my book. You know, like I wasn't, they, I didn't have anything to talk to them about. I was, I, I felt left out. I felt alone. I felt completely like no one understood me. And now I'm 40. My biological clock's on snooze or something. I don't know. Um, but basically, I, I'm kind of over it. And I'm good. I'm like, I'm in a happy place. And I'm like, you know what? God, okay. Clearly, this, oh, let me backtrack, okay? Because I know some of you are probably thinking, well, have you tried everything? Yes. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I've, my friends have tried to set me up. I've tried the online dating, okay? I've had friends and people that I look up to and, and family members. Have you tried the online? Yes. It is not like Amazon where I pick something and two days later it shows up at my door. I wish, but it's not that simple. Um, so yes, okay? Utter failure. Epic, epic failure. Um, so... What, what does that have to do with Sarah? Well, Sarah was just like this, okay? People would look at Sarah and they would probably think she is extremely uh, emotional, she's manipulative, she's temperamental, she's impatient, she is flighty, she's jealous. And I know most of you guys are like, well, yes, she's a woman. And so there you go. Um, but I'm exactly like that. We're all like that a little bit, right? But... She, and her faith was at times weak, right? And let's be honest, isn't our faith weak sometimes too, right? Isn't it? But if that's all we knew of her, we would be tempted to think of her as the self-centered and completely temperamental woman. But fortunately, the Bible commends her for her faith, right? In Hebrews 11, 11, St. Paul says she was judged faithful, she judged him faithful who had promised. So her character in the story is really characterized by humility and meekness, hospitality, faithfulness, deep affection for her husband, and a sincere love toward God, and above all else, a hope that never died. And I want us to remember these characteristics because these are all rewards of waiting on God, and I'll touch on that later. So I'm going to get a little bit into the story. There's a lot in this story. I'm not going to be able to cover it, but I really promise you guys to just go back and re-read the book 
of Genesis, specifically the, the chapters on um, Abraham and Sarah. And I want you to notice something here when it comes to the timeline of these events, because that really does play a key. So uh, there were three times that God made a covenant with Abraham. Now let's remember, this is Genesis, okay? This is like the beginning of time, okay? Uh, and so in Genesis 12, kind of the beginning of Abraham's story here a little bit, he says, um, I, will make, I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Okay, he says it again in Genesis 13. He promised to make Abraham's seed as the dust of the earth, um, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. And then in Genesis 15, but Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, I want to point out something here. Nowhere in here does it talk about Sarah. This is all a covenant between Abraham and God. So, <laughs> I'm going to make another really quick point here. There was a time, Genesis 12, so remember, in the middle, right, back here we have Genesis 12, 13, and 15. In Genesis 12, there is a story when there was a famine, and so Abraham had to go to Egypt. So he um, had to ask Sarah to basically lie and say, hey, can you just pretend like you're my sister and that we're not married, and that way if, uh, because if they know that you're my sister, they're going to kill me, and um, we don't want that to happen, right? So there's a half-truth there. They were actually half, um, she was his half-sister, okay? And back then, that's what happened, because how do you think that the population got created? Like, it had to happen, right? So, um, so they went to Egypt, and she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And so Pharaoh did like her. To kind of speed through this, Pharaoh liked her so much that he treated Abraham for her sake. And he gave Abraham oxen, male donkeys, uh, female servants, all kinds of things, right? So this is Genesis 12. And then here we are in Genesis 15, and Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Dude, are you kidding? God just made you rich. What will you give me? This is what we do all the time, right? We are so focused on that one thing that we're not getting that we don't see what else God is doing. Why do you think God made him rich on her behalf? It is because, A, she was devoted to her husband and very obedient, and God rewarded them for that, right? But then the other thing is God was preparing their future. Abraham, as we know, was one of the richest men in the Bible, this happened twice, by the way, this whole beautiful thing. This happened again with a king later on. Right? Here's the lesson here. God is the creator, and we are the created. Okay? There is nothing that Abraham did to deserve any of this. Nothing. Even after he had made that mistake and, and, and said, hey, can you pretend like you're my sister, and let's just, you know. God still gave him a promise. Did he deserve anything? No. Did God demand anything of him? No. Does God demand anything of us? No. He gives us because he is love. He loved us first. He wants to give you great things. And that's what we're going to see. He's the creator. You don't have to create anything for yourself. He's going to do it for you. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that's exactly what he was doing when he was giving Abraham and Sarah all these riches that Abraham just kind of neglected 
to the, it's because God didn't actually say to Abraham, I am going to send you to Egypt to make you rich. Did he say that? No. Does God tell us when we go and do something or he gives us something, hey, you, um, this is for me to you, it's a gift. No, sometimes we think, oh, it's because I worked hard. Uh, it's because I really spent um, 60 hours in the office instead of 40. It's because I stayed extra for that project, because I helped this person. No, it's not because of anything you did. God gave you the stamina and the strength to do something, and God blessed you. God gave you a gift, and he blessed you, and you got those things because of him, right? So... I want to talk a little bit about what that means, hope and a future. That's the second lesson, is that God has a plan for our lives, and it's centered on hope. So what is hope? In Proverbs, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Without hope, we can literally become sick, heart sick, which can lead to discouragement and depression. I'll be honest, I was depressed I probably felt heartsick too because there was a little part of me that lost a little bit of hope, right? I mean, after being kind of one of the only people I know that's my age that's not married and doesn't have kids and just kind of like, okay, waiting, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this isn't supposed to happen for me, right? But luckily, um, God showed his grace and mercy in me and he's like, don't give up. And I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, too. But in Psalm 42, he says, King David, why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. When we express hope, when we ourselves express hope, we think uncertainty. We say, oh, I hope I get that promotion. Oh, I hope I get married. Oh, I hope I get this house. Like, yeah. But I, I'm not sure it'll happen, right? The biblical term for hope actually means um, a confident expectation, right? A desire for something good to happen in the future. God wants us to be certain that he will give us a great future. That's what hope in God means. Be certain. Don't doubt and for a second that this is going to happen. Now, this plays an important role because her, her faith, her hope, Sarah's, never, never died. Okay, so we kind of know the, little, the story a little bit, right? So Sarah decided, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. This is 10 years later, right? She's now 75 years old, and she decided, uh, I'm going to take matters into my own hand. Now remember, none of the covenant was made with Sarah. So maybe she's like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't me. Maybe it was, uh, you know, I know that God made a promise, and I know that the promise is going to come true, but let me help, uh, let me help it along a little bit. And we do this all the time, friends. So, you know, this is what she does. She goes, hey, you know, why don't you uh, go take Hagar and maybe, you know, I can have a, th a child through her and then the promise will be fulfilled, right? No. Um, there are consequences to every action that we take. And we know, we know that there are far-reaching consequences to the decision that Sarah made. And what is the consequences? It's called the Middle East, Okay, the conflict in the Middle East is because of that. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure Abuna would love to tell you more. Okay, so what's the lesson here? There will always be consequences, but we will not be judged for our weakness. Now, that should give you great joy. 
to know that no matter the mistake, no matter the uh, pain, the difficulties, and the sin that you may have committed, you're not going to be judged for it. Yes, there will be consequences, but you're not going to be judged. Let's take a minute here to think about Sarah. And I was thinking about her, right? Because this is that moment was the moment that I was like, I don't like her. And then God was like, oh, but you're just like her. I'm like, okay, fine. Again, God was convicting me of something, right? She's Middle Eastern. She's old. Her life centered around this one promise. Her entire livelihood was having children, right? This isn't a time where there was careers for women and they can go travel and get their master's degree or, you know, become secretaries of agriculture. Like, that wasn't their thing, right? It was literally like, I am a wife. I bear children. That's my job, okay? And she's 75. Like, the despair the loneliness, the anguish, the shame that she felt, the, just this turmoil that she must have felt within herself, right? But that moment of weakness on her part might have caused her to lose her salvation, right? If God was not merciful and grace, gracious, Sarah could have easily been punished by God. And then we wouldn't even be here today. Would there even be Christianity? Like, where would we be if Sarah lost all hope? Where would we be? So she's 75. She's postmenopausal, right? She is still childless. It's natural for her to think that God is deliberately withholding children from her. And as a matter of fact, he was. And you want to know why he was? Because when his time came for the promise to be fulfilled, no one would be able to deny that this was indeed God's doing. His plan all along was for Sarah to have her first child in her old age. After every prospect of a natural fulfillment of the prophecy was exhausted, and after every earthly reason for hope was completely dead, there was no doubt that at 90, when she had Isaac, that this was a miracle from God. No doubt. So... Lesson four, God wants to use me to put his power on display for me to be his disciple. God is making you wait for whatever so that you can be his disciple. He wants to use you to bring others to him. He wants to use you to bring his kingdom come for his will to be done. That is what this is about. He's using you for that. Okay. Philippians, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And in John 15, 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is, my this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. God wants to use us to bring others to him. This is exactly what Uwe was saying last week as well is that our life here is to bring him glory. It is to truly be his disciples. And guess what? Your plans will still succeed because God still has a plan for your life and a future, a bright one. Okay, so at this time, Sarah turns 89 years old. She's still barren. And uh, God's promise is still un unfulfilled, okay? Ishmael is 13 years old. So after, so it was 10 years before 
Ishmael and Hagar, and then an additional 13 years, okay? So she's been waiting a long time. Now, she didn't give up. She didn't leave Abraham. She was still devoted to him and faithful to him and doing her wifely duties. And at this time, let's remember, she was never still mentioned in any covenant, okay? Now, if it was a lesser woman, anybody would have probably turned to paganism at this point, right? Why would she still believe in a God who hasn't given her and she's 70, she's 89, okay? But at this point, I can imagine how horrible she felt. She just sinned so badly, and she's sitting here watching Ishmael, and Hagar is making fun of her, and Ishmael, and Abraham is doting over his son, and she's like, this, that, that should have been me. That should have been our kid. Like, I can't believe this. And, she's, and she just didn't even say anything. She's just like, okay, well, whatever. Let, let, this, let this be. And then here's a beautiful thing, and this is how amazing God is, right? So we saw in Genesis 12, 13, and 15 that God had made a covenant with Abraham. And in Genesis 17 is when he finally talks about Sarah, okay? 24 years after the covenant was first established. And he says, For Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name my princess, but Sarah, princess shall be her name and I will bless her and also give you a son by her and then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of all nations kings of people shall be from kings of people shall be from her then Abraham fell on his face and laughed in his heart shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah who is 90 years old bear a child okay here's a funny thing I didn't know this and maybe it's because I didn't dig deep into the bible but Abraham laughed first people Abraham laughed first Okay, did you know that? Did you know that? Because I didn't know that. I always thought Sarah laughed first. No, Abraham laughed first. And in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old. Now, how come nobody told me this before? Okay, how come we give Sarah such a hard time for laughing when he did it first? And by the way, Sarah wasn't there. Okay, she didn't even know about this little discussion, conversation. Okay. So I want to make a point here of what this laughter actually is, because in um, Romans, St. Paul, speaking of that very moment with Abraham, said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and was fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So I want to think that this is exactly what Sarah felt when she laughed, Okay. So he says it again, this time talking about their son Isaac, and I shall name him Laughter. Laughter not in the, oh, ha ha, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to call him Isaac. No, laughter is in joy. I'm going to give you an, a son and you're going to call him joy and laughter and goodness and all things that are happy. I'm going to give you a son and you're going to call him happiness. Okay? His name is happy. So uh, we see then in Genesis 18 when the Lord actually talks directly to her, right? We know that he actually came and sat with uh, Abraham. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Claire, kind of read that. Therefore, and then he said, and Sarah, uh, wait, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And she heard all this. She was overhearing this. This is the first time that she heard that she was going to have a child, Right? And that she, her child was going to be the child that was promised in the covenant. She's 90. 
This is the first time she actually heard this, okay? And so she laughed within herself. Not laughed as in, yeah, right, laughed, but I laughed as like, oh my gosh, is this really gonna happen for me? Is this really the time? That's how I see her reacting, right? Not like a, oh, because we think she doubted. It didn't say that she doubted. She said, Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh or she was afraid. Now, the Bible doesn't mince words. If it said that she was doubtful, it would say because she was doubtful. She wasn't doubtful, she was afraid. You know what I was thinking about this? I was like, okay, it's kind of like when I go to my hairdresser and um, I, I color my hair from a box, okay? Because my hairdresser is ridiculously expensive. Um, so I went to my hairdresser after I colored my hair from a box and she looked at me and she goes, did you color your hair? And I go, no. <laughs> um, she goes, yeah, you did. I see some patches. Like, you missed a spot. Um, so I'm afraid to tell her because she's the expert. Like, she knows, right? Sarah denied it because she knew he was talking to her. She knew it was the Lord. She knew that this was God telling her she's going to have a kid. And she was like, oh, my God, is this really going to happen for me? This is amazing, right? She was excited. And how do we know she was excited? Because here, she says, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She's basically saying, I am so excited. I am so joyful, and I want to tell everybody. And everybody's going to be joyful with me. I think that my whole story right now is happening so that I could stand here before you, so that when something does happen, you all will laugh with me. Right? That's what I feel. I'm like, you're going to laugh with me, not at me, with me. Okay? <clears throat> so that's the lesson. God wants us to experience great joy. He wants us to be happy. But you have to understand, and you have to bring yourself out of the problem a little bit, right? It's not just about you. It ain't about you. It's about God's kingdom. Are you a part of God's kingdom or not? Do you want it to be just about you? Do you want it to be what the devil said and just focus on your bread? It's not about your bread. It's about sharing your bread. Okay? That's what Jesus did, right? In the Last Supper, he shared his bread. They shared it together. That's why the disciples were able to go and preach, right? That is your job. So you can't say, oh, God didn't answer my prayer. I'm just going to become a, a, a non-believer now or an atheist. Really? Really? Are you focusing so much on the one thing that you can't even think about what God has done else in your life? Take a minute and think about it. Reflect on it. C.S. Lewis said, I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. One of the um, hardest things to do is to wait on God. But there are a lot of rewards for waiting. That is one of, I'm telling you, I, patience is not my virtue. It's not. I'm not a patient person. I think it's a family gene. None of us are, none of us are patient people. Um, and I'm not patient at work. I'm not, I'm just, I'm a temperamental, I'm Sarah. I'm a temperamental person, right? But there are so many promises and so many rewards for waiting patiently on God. And one of them is that we discover God's will and purpose. He says in Hebrews, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. What is the will of God? We just talked about it. He wants to give you hope. He wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to witness about the things that God has done in your life. And they don't have to be big things. I'm sitting here, standing here talking about me being single. 
I'm not, I didn't go save anybody in Africa. I didn't go like become a missionary somewhere. Like I'm, I'm a normal person and I'm telling you something because I know that God's going to do, he has, and will continue to do amazing things in my life. And I know that that's the same for you. He gives us strength and courage. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He will enable you to wait for him. He will guide you every step of the way. He is preparing your future, and he is making you go along with him for the ride. And he acts on your behalf. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. I have a very short story here to share with you. When um, I recently had joined this new organization, and I was super excited about it. I mean, I was working so hard to get there. And when I first got there, this is about four or five years ago. Um, my, my, my new boss at the time was like, okay, so this is what I want you to do. And it was the most humiliating thing anybody could have asked me to do. I was like, you don't understand. I'm a professional. I am not going to do something that's ridiculous. And it was basically like, I need you to help us move from this facility to that facility. I'm like, I know, Rongo, that's not me. I'm like, I work with engineers. Like, that's what I do. I'm not like some facilities person, right? Like, I was like, I, I don't even know how to do that job, right? So I, um, I was like, okay, fine, whatever. I'm just going to do it, right? And I was praying. Now, forget all the single stuff. I was praying. I was like, God, help me get out of here. <laughs> I hate this job. I hate it. I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out. And um, soon enough, and I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, you know what? God was like, just do your job. Just do the best that you can and everything will be okay. My mentor comes up to me, senior mentor sees me and I'm literally on the floor cleaning up some file cabinets or whatever. And she looks at me, she goes, what are you doing? I was like, well, I told you they made me the program manager for this thing. And she goes, okay, no. Within days, days, my friends, I was on the floor, people walking past me, not helping me, just like, oh, you know, you missed, the, you missed the paper, right? A Cinderella moment. To being on the top floor where the um, head of the organization was, I was part of a three-person team, and this person, I mean, this is like a, what, 100,000-person place? I was a part of a three-person team that was working directly for him. Now, you can't get much more acting on my behalf than that. God took me from being a Cinderella moment to being in the king's palace, right? Being treated like a princess. That changed my career forever afterwards. And I didn't even do any, and I, I mean, I did nothing. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I didn't deserve that. Who am I to get that job? Nobody. Me, out of a hundred other thousand people. But that's how much God works on your behalf. God does amazing things when you really rely on him and you say, okay, God, I, I know you're going to do something. I'm going to wait for you, right? There's a few requirements for waiting, though. Faith and trust. We must be willing to trust his ways and his timing. His timing is not always our timing, and his ways are not always our ways. Humility. Thankfully, Father Anthony talked about what that is today, so I won't have to repeat what he said, but humility. We have to have humility. We have to be convinced that I need him, that I have to have a relationship with him, right? 
I need to have that door with Christ, with Jesus himself. Patience, right? I am willing to stand in my present position until I get further orders from God. I'm going to wait for him. Courage. <laughs> I've had friends who told me, okay, you try this, try that. Yes. Okay, why don't you freeze your eggs? Okay, no. I'm not going to, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to wait on God. Like, there are so many things that I need to do. There are so many medical reasons why I probably need to do certain things or, you know, so many negative things. Oh, well, nobody can, I mean, if Janet Jackson can have a baby at 50, I'm still hopeful. Okay? So it can happen. And commitment. Okay? We know, that just like the manna, okay, that God gave the Israelites in the desert every single day, he wants us to commit to him. Okay? Proverbs, it says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So I want you to be rest assured that God is bringing you to your knees so that you can witness his hand lift you up. Okay? So that you can witness his hand lift you up. And so we started with the, our father. At the end of that same chapter, Matthew 6, Jesus says this, So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We're not pagans. We are his children. He is our Father. And you have to seek him first. Seek his kingdom. Witness your life so that his kingdom can come and that his will is done in your life and in the life of others and everything else will fall into place. I promise you. So what I'm about to do right now is I'm about to play a song and what I want you guys to do, either you could stand and pray along with it or you can bow your heads and really pray, but I want you to, I want all of us to take a minute to just really reflect on our prayer, our relationship with Jesus and I'll leave it at that. Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart Before I lift my cares, I will lift my arms I wanna know you, I wanna find you In every season, in every moment Before I bring my need, I will bring my heart
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for how wonderful you are, Lord. We thank you so much for being so good to us, for showing us, Lord, how much you truly love us in so many different ways, Lord, for just giving us so much more than we ever could deserve, Lord, for wanting to prepare a future for us, Lord, and a hope and for having plans for us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you may work within each one of us, Lord, to develop this relationship with you, to seek you first above all else, to learn how to um, do your will, Lord. Reveal to us your will. Reveal to us, Lord, how to um, bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, to truly reflect on these words, Lord, and to truly reflect on who you are and how you're working in our lives, Lord, and to never waver, Lord, and to always have unfailing faith in you and hope in you, Lord, that you do have a plan and a future for us. I pray that you may bless everybody that is here today and everybody that is listening, Lord, that you may truly speak to their hearts, Lord. I thank you all of this in your holy and precious name, through the intercessions of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. 